If you have a Bible, I wanted to actually start in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. And so let me just start by saying if you're here for the first time in Calvary Chapel El Monte, we want to welcome you. Uh, we pray that you would know that there is a God who made you and loves you. You know, we pray that you would know, even though we all sin and fall short of the glory of God, and as a result of our sins, we separate ourselves from Him. Uh, and if we were to die in that sin, we would perish. But God gave His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross, and He rose again. And if you would simply repent, believe, and receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, especially if you're here for the first time, you know, we want you to know that there is a message of salvation, freedom, forgiveness, joy, peace, love. All that is good is offered to you through Jesus Christ. You know, so whatever you do, don't, don't come and then leave without him. You know, he's here. Ask him into your heart. You know, that's uh, our, our desire, that's why we exist as a church, to glorify God, to build up the church, and to reach out to the lost, you know? So if you're here for the first time, we want to at least make sure that you understand that. I pray that you would receive the love of God today. But, but if you're here for the first time, we also got to let you know that we're going to do something different today. Um, I mean, we're usually in Calvary Chapel, we teach through the Bible, and so last week we were in Acts chapter 25 and this week we we're scheduled to be in Acts chapter 26 but today is going to be different and maybe some of you here you kind of expected that you knew it would be because we have to address some things that we're going through as a church it's a, a really tough trial that we're going through uh, together and so uh, I was thinking about this uh, uh, yesterday I was actually getting ready for Acts and I was preparing and trying to get the study together. And uh, it was a little challenging. It was a little tough because in the back of my mind, in the deepest recess of my heart, I knew that God wanted me to share something different. So I did the best that I could yesterday. But this morning, I woke up at 3.30 in the morning. Don't worry, I, w I went to bed early. So it's not, not that big of a deal. But I woke up at 3.30 and I just got on my knees. I got on my face. And I said, Lord, what do you want me to talk about today? This is your church. These are your people. And we are going through this trial together. And as I was just there sitting before the Lord, you know, he just began to, to lay uh, different things on my heart. And one of the things that I, I believe he revealed to me is that, that we are going through a trial together. You know, and I, and I think when you go through trials, here's the way it works, that if we search our hearts honestly, you know, through those difficult times, through those tough times, if you really would be honest with God and keep your eyes on Him, then you're going to come out of that trial closer to Him. That's the intention of the difficulties. That's the intention of going through the fire is to draw near to God. You know, and it goes for everything. You know, it goes for you as an individual with God. It goes for husband and wife. You know, you guys probably know, have you ever heard the statistics? Like, for example, if a husband and wife, if a family, they lose a child. Let's just say a child dies to cancer or one of those, you know, awful illnesses. 
Statistics are that they, uh, they, they might get a divorce. It, it kind of skyrockets because of the difficulties, because of the pressure. And, and even things like we're dealing with, you know, that can actually tear families apart. But that's not the intention. The intention is to draw husband and wife together. The intention when we go through the trials is to draw families closer together. You don't start fighting about things. You start praying together. You know, and and for us, uh, uh, even us, you know, just as a little glimpse, I mean, for us as a family, you know, I thank God, my wife, my son, my daughter, they all know the Lord. And so we get, and you know, we pray together. We don't do it perfectly, but we do pray together. But, But now we're on our knees together. Because when you go through the tough times, the intention is to draw you closer to God, closer to your spouse, closer as a family, closer as a church. And I think that that's what God wants to do. He wants to do that type of work even in our church. You know, I was thinking about the guys that we're blessed with as a church. And you guys don't all know this, you know, but I get to see it firsthand you know, the pastors that we have, the group of guys that we have, the servant leaders that we have, as we're going through this together, you know, it's opportunities for us. And, and I see it, man, we're, 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 we're drawing closer to each other. We're praying together. We're talking about these things. We're communicating and we're all on the same page. They're all on the same page. They love the Lord and they love you as a flock. And what God is doing is God is, is he's tightening us up. That's the intention of the trials, you know, and, and that's what we're going through. I, mean, I don't know if you were here last week, but we went over the fact that Paul the Apostle was literally on trial there in the courts of Rome. But it wasn't just a physical trial, huh? It was a spiritual trial. And I just thought it's ironic. It's ironic in one sense that here we are, in one sense, going through, literally, physically, a trial. And God was kind of saying, yeah, and it's not just a physical trial. Man, it's a spiritual trial that you're going through, that your church is going through. And he wants to draw us closer to him, closer husband and wife, closer family, closer as a flock. And so we, we have to know, because I was sitting there and I was asking the Lord, because that last year was a lot going on, and you guys don't even know, we don't even know all the things that happened, but it was a rough year. And then, you know, just things just escalate. And one thing about being in a fight with the devil is that he doesn't stop fighting. You know, and so like, you know, like you're bo- you know, boxing and, you know, you're, you're thinking, okay, enough. I mean... No, he's not going to stop. And after this, there's going to be another one. And after that, there'll be another one. It won't end until we're home. So we, we go through the trials. That's life as a Christian. Paul actually served as a perfect example of that. Remember we read back in Acts 20 and verse 19, he said, serving the Lord with all humility, with many tears and trials. And so here's Paul the apostle Do men cry? Yes, men cry. Many tears and trials. I mean, there's a lot. Here we read in 1 Peter chapter 1, look at verse 6, In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while, if need be, 
you have been grieved by various trials, that the genuineness of your faith, being much more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to praise, honor, and glory at the revelation of Jesus Christ. I mean, there's a lot here, but Peter here, he says you rejoice in these trials, even though you're grieved, and that's the emotional pain, the big-time spiritual and emotional pain that we experience. And it's a, it's a variety of trials, various trials. It's not, this is not a typical thing that we're going through. I mean, this is, uh, this is cunningly creative by the enemy himself. And so Peter says, your, your faith is being tested, that the genuineness of your faith it's more valuable than gold that perishes. It's tested by fire. And so we're being tested. And what that means is God is going to reveal us and God's going to refine us. And when, when the gold goes through the fire, it's purified. And it comes out in that, in that when it's so beautiful when you see God, God is, what is he's doing? He's making us more like him. God's working through these trials variety of trials you know and and for us if we could choose obviously we would say lord this is not what we want you know we're uh, the sheep of your pasture we are the tribe of your inheritance we are your bride we are your turtle dove these are your children how could it happen If need be, that's what he says right there. If need be, you know, God will allow these things. And so James, he says, Brethren, count on all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. And so, you know, it's interesting. He doesn't say count on all joy when you fall into various trials, feeling that your faith, you don't, you don't feel it. You, you don't. You just know it. God is doing something great. God is doing something deep. I'll tell you what. God is tired of superficial religion. God does not want us to just go through the motions. He wants to work deep character inside of us. Are you ready for that? Are you willing to change? Are you willing to come to Christ? This is what he wants to do. This is why he allows the trial. So James, he talks about joy and, and, you know, when we go through what we go through, you know, right now I'm not sure if I can smile on the trial, but I can lift up my hand. I can say, Lord, I surrender to whatever you want to do. And I'm ready to receive anything you have to give. The corrections, the blessings, the things that need to change. And that's what we do. You know, we go back to our staple scriptures, Romans eight twenty eight, and we know that all things work together for good to those who love God and who are the called according to his purpose. As Joseph told his brothers in Genesis chapter 50 and verse 20, you meant this for evil. And when this guy did what he did, the devil was working through him. And he meant it for evil. It's about as evil as evil can be. 
But God meant it for good. And that's what we see. He told his brothers, you know, this is the plan and the purpose for God. And we go through this as a church, you know, and I know um, I got to be realistic here. Um, Most of you know what's going on. Some of you are like, what's going on? You don't know. And so last November, um, I had informed the church about a young man who attended here and served here. He's 27 years old and never on staff. He volunteered as a servant in the young adults ministry. And that guy, um, he he inappropriately touched a 14-year-old youth and he inappropriately texted others. And I don't know all the details of everything, but that's the gist of it. You know, and so the thing that we need to know, none of those things happened here at the church grounds, but he did meet those youth here at church. And so um, that day we spoke about that a little bit. We left some information at the back counter. We made ourselves available for any questions anyone ever had. I repeated it the following Sunday, uh, just in case some of you hadn't attended church because I know sometimes you miss. We miss you when you miss, but you guys miss a lot and we miss you a lot. <laughs> and anyways, um, you know, when that all went down and, and I, I, I can't, we don't have time to go over the whole story, but you know, when it all went down, I got the phone call from the dad and then the next day I got the phone call from this guy and uh, Pastor Manny, Pastor Manny, okay, so we're talking, and I didn't do it, I didn't do it, I didn't do anything. I said, yes, you did, yes, you did. You're lying, you're lying, you're lying, yes, you did. And I had evidence, yes, you did do it. But he still didn't want to admit it, so by the grace of God, we're able to go to the home of the victim. And it's hard for a victim to open up and to muster up the courage to say that it did happen, but I think God, that God gave him the grace and the courage to say, yes, it happened. And what ended up happening as we, you know, got that confession, I, I said right there to the parents, I said, we have to call the authorities. And I knew, I knew that day, I knew that the day would come when the news would blast it. And it would be on television, it'd be on the radio, it'd be in the newspaper. I knew it, but I knew, we all knew it was the right thing to do, of course. And so, you know, the day came. It was this Friday and Saturday, and it had to get out because not only did this young man attend church here, but he was also employed at local high schools, uh, Rosemead High School, Almonte High School, and other schools within the district. And so, you know, the media gets hold of a story like this, and of course, you know, those are the ones that people are drawn to. The purpose of the media is to find out if there are any other victims out there, which is good, right? If there are any others, how important it is for them to come forward to deal with it, not to have to carry it inside of them for the rest of their lives, because until you just give it to God, you'll never find healing. For your heart and that goes for anyone here these are things that are very common you know where someone inappropriately touched you or did other things you know and and you're carrying it or whatever man your your mom 
Your, your dad, they, they, they weren't there for you. You never had a dad. You carry these things all your life. And God says, listen, give them to me because I can heal your broken heart. As a matter of fact, a lot of times these predators are predators because they themselves were at one time victims. And that's why it's so important that you come to the Lord no matter what has happened in your life and you give it to God because the Bible says that only He can mend our broken hearts. Psalm 147 in verse 3, it says, He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. You know, Jesus said in Luke chapter 4 and verse 18, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He has sent me to heal the brokenhearted. And you guys know as well as I do that we live in a world of people with broken hearts and how important it is that they come forward And they let Jesus heal their hearts. So we understand this. We understand that the the media has to get this out and the the photo has to go out there and the information has to get out there, right? I understand that part of it. But of course, we also know uh, the enemy will then take that and twist it and distort it and then try to use it against the church. You know, he'll send a message. The enemy will spread it, you know, you shouldn't go to church. Look what happens when you go and take your children. When in all reality, you know, they, they need to come, the youth. They, they need it now more than ever. They need to learn about the love of God. They need to learn that God has a plan for their life. They need to learn the truth in this land where they're inundated with lies. They need to learn the Bible. B-I-B-L-E, basic instructions before leaving earth. Our youth, they go to boomers, but before they go to boomers, they study the Bible. And that's why it's so important that you bring them. The Bible says, how can a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed according to your word. And so, you know, even though the church is flawed, it's... uh, It's the institution that's established by Christ for all his people to be a part of. And so, you know, you guys, whatever you do, and as the enemy spreads that word, and we we get it in different forms. Oh, you don't need to go to church to to go to heaven. And, you know, now that we see this happens and stuff, you know, we actually don't really need to be there. We'll just do it from a distance. We'll watch live stream, things like that. Listen, man, um, don't abandon ship. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. He established the church. Don't stop going. Hebrews 10 and verse 25, it says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so, you know, the enemy will take it and twist it and use it for bad. But this is what we need to do. We need to take it, not ignore it. We have to deal with it. We have to talk about it. And what we want to do is to try to use it for for good. You know, what we're going through, we want to be able to say, I'm growing through. We want to make this the safest church in the whole wide world. You know, as a pastor, as a servant leader, I want to listen to the Lord through this. Lord, is there anything 
that I, I, I need to do different. And through the whole process, and it's always been this way, I guess, but sometimes it just gets amplified, right? I've been on my knees asking the Lord, Lord, what do I need to hear? What are you trying to say? What's going on for your people? This is your flock. When we started this church in 2002, when I went street witnessing, there wasn't a church. And then you start the, the little home fellowship and you got five people and 10 people and 15 people and whatever. Then you're over there in the park and in Garvey and here and who knows what, what's, what's next. It's, Lord, you did this. This is your church. There's no doubt about it. And so, Lord, it's your church. Lord, show us. Show me what you want to do. What's going on? And so, you know, there's probably a lot more I know the Lord wants to reveal, but I have three questions and then one conclusion. And the first question I have to ask the Lord whenever anything happens, is it, is it because we've done something wrong? Is that why? Is that why? I don't know how to view it, you know, but I guess in one sense, you know, you, is that why kind of you, you lowered the wall of protection? And the enemy came in and he planted a tear among the wheat. Is that why? You know, and I, right away, I know there's some people out there, they would say, ah, oh, you don't you have to go there, you know. We've, we've done nothing wrong. You know, we're blameless, we're pure, we're innocent. And that's fine if that's the approach that you take or that organization takes, that's fine. That's never the approach I take. I always have to search my heart. Lord, Anything I've done wrong? You know, I mean, and, I, and I'm asking you to do the same because you you got to know what the Bible teaches. You have to know that your sin, my sin, can affect the entire congregation. That God is holy, holy, holy. You're living in sexual sin. You're doing drugs. You're getting high. You're angry, you're violent, you're unforgiving, you're bitter, you're covetous. You know, we got the respectable sins. And then you say, well, Romans 5.20 says, we're sin abounded, grace abounded, much more. No, Paul says in Romans chapter 6, what shall we say to these things? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? Certainly not. All of us here, we're a team. We're a team. We're all different parts of the body. And so in Joshua chapter 6, you guys remember, they were going into the promised land and God gave them such a great victory. I mean, they had crossed through the Jordan River, which is symbolic of being baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then they just marched around the city of Jericho on those huge walls. They fell down. All the men went forward and they plundered the city of Jericho. It was a great city. But then right after that, in Joshua chapter 7, they only send a few thousand to go kind of get this little town of Ai. And what ended up happening is the children of Israel went up there and then, you know, what, the, the, they were defeated. 36 Jewish men died. They, they were then sent, you know, running away with their tail between their legs. And so Joshua, if you remember, he just got on his face. He said, Lord. This is your church. We, we're God's people. You said you were going to give us victory here. What happened? What happened? And the Lord said, get up off your face. There's sin in the camp. 
And you guys remember, huh? Joshua went and he dealt with it swiftly. It said he got up early in the morning. You know, when you get up early in the morning in the Bible, what that means is there's an urgency here. And he went and eventually they identified the sin in the camp was this guy named Achan. He had coveted a Babylonian garment. Uh, he had 200 pieces of silver. It was over a pound of gold. He had it buried underneath his tent. He thought he could hide his sin from God. But you can't. And I'm begging you, and that's not the first time I've done this. I've done it in ministry meetings. I've done it from the pulpit. I'm begging you. You know, any sin in your life, kill it. Give it to God. Surrender it. Because, you know, Achan wasn't a leader. He was just one of the guys in, 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 the, in the congregation. He was just one of the guys. It doesn't have to be a leader. Sometimes it is, but it could be anybody. Because the Bible says that it's just a, a little leaven that leavens the whole lump. Sometimes I wonder, and you know, guys, you know, one, time, one day we're going to be in heaven and maybe we're going to get some more details on this. But sometimes I wonder, Lord, why are we even discussing a 70,000 square foot building for marijuana? Why aren't we talking about a 70,000 square foot building for Calvary Chapel, Almani? Amen? Amen. Amen. <laughs> and I don't know. The Lord, the Lord, he's, I mean, with God, I've learned this. There's no such thing as a small church. And some of those big churches, they might not be as big in God's eyes as you might think. But this is what I'm saying, though. I just want to make sure. I just want to make sure. And so I'm begging you. I mean, how is it that we can be preaching the word of God with sincerity and you can be sleeping around with someone? How does that happen? How? Don't do that to God. Don't do that to your family. Don't do that to your church. That's so I'm looking. I'm asking the Lord, how is this happening? Listen, you, you can't hide it. Don't you know? God will expose it. And I was, the other day, and even another news article that I was tripping out on is a guy that was attending here at church. Uh, he would come. He was even coming to the marriage fellowships with his wife. And, you know, um, she loved the Lord and she loves him. And, but this guy, you know, he never really, really committed himself. It wasn't like ever like full bore. And so, you know, he had his chance, but what he did was he chose to leave his wife probably about three weeks ago. It wasn't even that long ago. He left her for some other girl and, you know, some, you know, younger, prettier, whatever you might say. I don't know. That's all relative. But, you know, he ends up being, he was over here in the, um, the strip bar the other day. And you maybe saw in the newspaper where he got shot and killed. And then there was this other guy, he was coming here, and again, who knows, maybe these guys will end up in heaven. Maybe when they're on their last breath, you know, they cried out for mercy. I don't know, maybe not. Uh, another guy here, I mean, you know, walking with the Lord, fellowshipping, because you guys know when someone's, they know the Lord, and this guy, he was in that place, and coming to the men's fellowships. And then, you know, the day comes where he's like, I'm, 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 gonna, I'm just going to go back to the hood, and not much longer, he's in the car, and he gets shot killed and so you're like I'm not going to Carachapa Almani because I might get shot 
I tell you what, man. Acts chapter 5, when Ananias and Sapphira were killed, the Bible says, and the rest dared not join them because they knew that when you go to that church, God doesn't mess around. And there are people there who really love the Lord. And God will deal with you. So we have to ask ourselves that question. Psalm 139 in verse 23 and 24 says, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. You know, who knows? And we just have to really take this from a biblical perspective. Maybe you're here, right here, right now. We're talking about sin in the camp. And you're here and you're thinking, well, it's not me. And it is you because you want to know why you haven't asked the Lord to show you. And you're blind to it. That's why you have to pray that prayer. Search me, O Lord. You with your eyes of omniscience, show me, is there anything in here that's messing things up? I have to do the same thing, especially as a pastor. I fear God. And so we, we, we ask, is it because I've done something wrong? And then the, the second question I was just talking to the Lord about, I said, Lord, is it because maybe we've done something right? Maybe is that, is that why? And I think in one sense, yeah, if that's okay to say. You know, not because we're a perfect church, we're not. There's no such entity, but we are sincere. We, we do genuinely want to follow the Lord and do the right thing and man, just, you know, we, we're here, you know, not to get but to give. We're, we were taught that by Pastor Chuck Smith and we don't, we don't peddle for money. We, we just want to preach the word and I believe with all my heart that this church is, is making a dent. It's making a difference. You know, I got an email right here and it was just so cool, just really good timing Uh, from this one sister yesterday she sent it. And I'll read you a little bit. She said, Hello, Pastor Manny. Just wanted to let you know that regardless of the many attacks that I receive from the enemy, I love my church life and thank the Lord for blessing me with such precious brother and pastor. I also want to thank you for the time that you ruffle some feathers. People like me need pastors like you. I love being able to say to others, I love the Lord, obeying Him and serving Him. And then I asked them to come to Calvary Chapel, Almani. She says, I will be sober three years on June 1st, 2019. After 21 years of partying, which led to hardcore alcoholism, along with dangerous pill taking mixed in with down wrong homosexuality. But Jesus Christ has changed my life. She put here, yeah, dude, I love the church. I think she's a cool sister, man. (laughs) And you know, are, are, are you making a difference? It's not me, it's not you, but it's God through you. And so why are these things happening? And part of me is, Lord, is there anything we're doing wrong? And I will ask that question till the day that I die. And maybe part of it is because of something that we're actually doing right. I don't know how it all works, but I believe that there was a time when the enemy went before God 
And this is because this is how it works. You read the book of Job. He has to get permission from the throne. And the enemy said, well, just let down their walls of protection from that church. Let me plant tares among the wheat and that one will fall and that one will fall and that one will fall and then this. And then you watch they, he will lose heart. They will slow down. They will then scatter, fall into a great depression, back down and the pressure will be too much. I will destroy them. That's the way the enemy operates. What we find is that sometimes we go through these things because we're actually doing something right. How many of you here, I'm just curious, man. How many of you here, you want to live a godly life? Raise your hand. You want to live a godly life? Then listen to what the Bible says. It says, yes, in 2 Timothy 3.12, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. You see? And so we're in a trial. We're in a battle. You know, going through this, Lord, show us anything wrong. Is it because we've done something right? And then, Lord, show us how we can do better. Um, just in case you didn't know, the incidents didn't happen here at church, you know, and, and so there's only so much that we can do to protect the people. You're going to meet people here. We don't have control of what you do when you're out there. I mean, thank God in some, man, some of you guys are really, really wise to these things, you know, and you you know, you protect your children like crazy. But I was talking to one of the guys the, earlier today, and he's a police officer, and he dealt with individuals who specifically committed this type of crime. And he told me, this guy fooled me. You know, here's a guy, he comes into church, and, you know, just they know how to groom. They know how to, you know, talk. They know what to say. I mean, it, it, sometimes it almost seems like they're more faithful than, than the rest. I mean, it's just crazy because they have an agenda. They have a plan. Next thing you know, after a few years being here in church, he's got nowhere to live. And so one of the families in the church opens up their home to him. Imagine that, the kindness of their heart. They allow him to come and live with them. And that's how this all went down. And so what can we do better? I mean, there's, there's things that we put in motion, and I just want you to know this. You know, um, what we find is that we as a church will do everything we can, and we're going to go the extra mile. We've made changes and what can be done here, and even what goes on out there if someone's involved in, in ministry. You know, but we have to understand that this can be anyone uh, friends, family, coaches, teachers, physicians. It could be the friendliest neighbor you ever met in your whole life. I was listening to a study by Charles Swindoll the other day. One of the greatest uh, preachers, pastors, wisest men you'll ever hear. And he was talking about how in his church, one of the well-respected elders, elders, was molesting 60 little girls. It can happen anywhere, right? 
And so what do we do? Um, well, one of the things that the Lord laid on our hearts, and just in case you're wondering, well, what are they doing different? Because you've got to remember, this guy went under the radar screen. The, the background checks didn't show. And so that's why he was employed at Almani, Rosemead, different places. So it's not always the background check that will make the difference. And so what the Lord showed us is we have to train our, our people. And so we have this thing now that it's called safe gatherings, that if you're involved in ministry, you have to go through this because not only does it give you a background check, it, it trains you on what to look for. Now, everyone who's involved in ministry is trained on what to look for. And we have a, a, the motto, if you see something, say something. Even if you just sense something, say something because that might be the difference that protects a young person. You know, we have these... Uh, guidelines safe gatherings training um if you're an adult you're not allowed to be alone with a minor who's not a family member of yours it includes an isolated room or a vehicle and any text messaging must include a parent of the minor in the text that applies to emails and social media as well because you have to know that that's how they groom. That's how they discover whether or not this individual is somebody that can be manipulated. And so parents, uh, some of you have kids that are right in the middle of it. Some of you have younger ones that are going to get there pretty soon. I can't tell you how to parent your child, but if I were you, I would check their text messages. If I were you, I would check their social media. I would keep them accountable. I mean, think about it. I'm accountable. I'm 52 years old. My wife looks at everything. Praise God for that. <laughs> Praise God for that. If you're here on a husband and you've got a problem with that, then you've got a problem. Let yourself be accountable. You know, what we find is, that's not that my wife doesn't trust me. She says she doesn't trust you. No, I'm joking. She doesn't. <laughs> she knows. And I thank God she knows the world that we live in and she knows even me, I mean, who, who here, any of you guys are beyond falling? If you say, no, I'll never fall, then you just move to the front of the line, bro. <laughs> so, you know, we have to be wise. This is a part of what we have going on as a church. Another guideline that we have is if you are an adult and engaged with a child or youth in any way outside of ministry. See, what we're doing is we're saying, okay, this didn't happen in the church. It happened outside the church. And so if anyone's connected to the church, we're going to make you accountable. You are not permitted a text message apart from the parent under knowing and, and being included in that. And if there's anything going on, not only, let's just say you say, I want to take this you know, kid to a football game or whatever. You can't unless you get the parent's approval and the church's approval. Because what ends up happening is when you fall and you're connected to this ministry, you drag Jesus' name through the mud. And that's the one that I'm most concerned with. His name. You know, we have other guidelines too. And, and when we were there in our meeting, we were talking about these things for everyone involved in ministry. You know, we, we also, you know, dealt with the fact that, you know, you guys... You guys know, you've been around long enough. You know that for whatever perverse reason, sometimes adults are attracted to children. 
They're drawn to children. It's an awful, horrible thing. And as I mentioned earlier, sometimes it's because they themselves were violated when they were young. But listen, if you're here and you're struggling with that, I beg of you by the authority and the blood of Jesus Christ, tell us. We will love you no matter what your struggle is. But you cannot overcome this on your own. You see, this is the world that that we live in. And this is what we're going through as a church. It's a trial that God wants to draw us closer to him, closer to each other. It's a trial that we're going to learn from and we're going to grow through. And my prayer is that we will come out uh, as gold. You know, um, let me close it with a passage in Matthew chapter 18. It says in verse 1, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who then is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And then Jesus called and a little child to him, set him in the midst of them and said, Assuredly, I say to you, unless you are converted and become as little children, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Isn't it neat when you think of like, like give me a model Christian. Who's the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And a lot of people would probably name some you know, pastor or celebrity or something. And, and the Lord just says, the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And he grabs a little child and he says, you guys, you shouldn't even be thinking that, that, that those thoughts. You know, you need to be humble and, and open and, and beautiful, like a little child. What is it about a little child? They believe. And you, you may think, well, they're naive. No, they're pure. They're wonderful. They're so beautiful. You tell them about Santa Claus, they believe. You shouldn't tell them about Santa Claus, but that's okay. You tell them about the Easter Bunny, they believe. You tell them about the Tooth Fairy, oh yeah, mommy put my little tooth underneath there, you know, because the Tooth Fairy is going to come. And and you tell them about Jesus, they believe, not just because of the fact that they have that, 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 you know, gullible aspect, but it's because I think it's inside of them. That so many times we see these little children are the ones that are bringing mom to church or bringing grandpa back to the Lord. You know, and so the Lord says, look at how beautiful the kids are. And so he brings a little child to them. And then in verse 4, he says, therefore, whoever humbles himself as a little child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. You know, just how beautiful. But then he says this, whoever receives one little child like this in my name receives me and that's pretty cool like who, who, that's why i think children's ministry is the best place to be i wish i could go back sometimes maybe i will we'll see <laughs> but you know i mean just the the beauty of the children and when you receive them they're not going to put you up on a platform you're not going to get all the accolades and the applause oh great you know pastor manny no, I mean, these kids, they tell it like it is. Hey, you have something in your nose or you know, whatever, you know. I mean, I mean, they're just so cool, man, just beautiful, so pure. 
They're just so valuable to God. That's what the Lord is saying here. But then notice what he says in verse 6. Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were drowned in the depth of the sea. Woe to the world because of offenses, for offenses must come. But woe to that man by whom the offenses come. And I tell you what, and I'm, you guys better make sure that you understand this. And it could be a parent who's verbally abusive to their child or physically abusive or mentally abusive. It could be anyone that's trying to hurt these kids in any way. Jesus gave a clear warning right there. He said, it'd be better for you to, to tie a thousand pound rock around your neck and throw yourself in the deepest part of the sea than to offend one of these little ones. Do we understand how valuable they are? And Jesus goes on to say, offenses must come. They will come. We live in a fallen world. I'm like, Lord, why? I don't understand how this could happen. Why do you use the word must? It's because we live in this fallen world, fighting fallen angels and fallen bodies. We live in a planet with broken hearts. Offenses must come, but woe to that man by whom they come. And that's why it's so important that we get right with the Lord. That's why it's so important that no matter what you're going through and what the challenge is, don't just come to church and then leave the same. Have some type of interaction, some type of exchange with God today. I'm, I'm walking away today and I'm going to say, Lord, no, not messing around. I mean, no, no, no areas of compromise, Lord, in my life. Done. And I pray that you would have the same heart. And maybe you might need prayer. Maybe you might need to give your life to Christ for the first time. Or maybe it might be a rededication that's necessary today. But that's what God wants at the end of the day. You know, as the musicians come forward, I was thinking about that passage in Second Chronicles 20 and verse 12. It says, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? Because we're in a trial and we're in a battle. And I don't know how long this trial is going to be. And I don't know what the media is going to do. Because I know the enemy is the prince of the power of the air. Oh, Lord, will you not judge them? For we have no power against the, this great multitude that is coming against us. Nor do we know what to do. We don't know. The only way we're really going to know is what he says right there. But our eyes are upon you. And that goes for me as a, as a servant who wants to be a leader. That goes for every single one of the people in God's flock, in the congregations, Everyone here, listen, you're all part of it. If you call this your home church, then we're going through this trial together. And the Lord laid something on my heart as we close today, and I hope it's all right. You know, I don't want to embarrass anyone, you know, but I was thinking about these youth and all the, the temptations, all the struggles, all the things that they've experienced already and how hard it is. And I thought, 
Would it be okay to pray for you guys? We love you so much. But God loves you infinitely more. And I was just wondering, man, would it be all right if you're a high schooler, junior higher, would you stand to your feet? And we just want to pray for you. Because, you know, we're here and we're thinking, yeah, I know how hard it is, you know, being a young person. You don't know how hard it is because we're living in a different world now. It's so hard for them. 